Breaking news on Bible Dingers News Network. You know, we said the word banter one time as a joke, and now it's just regular. Yeah, it's just a regular word for you. Yeah, yeah. You guys know how we start the show. Bible Dingers. I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark. What's up? You got to say, hey, yo. Oh, oh uh, hey, yo. <laughs> and we are. Bible dingers. And if this is the first time that you're listening, we start each and every show with fake news or real news where I have to come up with a headline and Ryan and Mark have to decide whether it's fake or real. So are you guys ready for this? Yeah. Wait, now that Biden is president, isn't fake news gone? Oh, it's gone. Oh, that's true. Fake news. It's all real news. Doesn't exist anymore except for this show. Biden. Wow. So I said... Are you ready for this? Yes, puppy. Zoo under fire for disguising hairy dog as lion. (laughs) Fake news or real news. Let me repeat that. Zoo under fire for disguising hairy dog as lion. Are you lying to me? (laughs) What do you guys say? Fake or is it real? (laughs) That's got to be real. I mean, how could it be real? But hey, do your thing, guys. It's got to be real. Really? 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 Not just real. Really real. Really real? Really real? Yeah. That's my answer. Real? Really. No. Really real. Really real. Are you guys serious? We were really serious. Really, really, really. Stop it with that. We're being real. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Really? Real. Real. For real. For real? Come on, Nikki. What is it? All right. That is... Real. Let's read this article. Are you ready for this? Look is, at the picture. Is bro. it just like Aww. some zoo out in the sticks in the mid USA? Are you lying to me? <laughs> that is adorable. Chinese zoo under fire for disguising hairy dog as lion. So I specifically removed the word Chinese because I knew you guys were automatically going to get that it's real news if I say it's from China. Ah. So a Chinese zoo supposedly African lion was exposed as a fraud when the dog used <laughs> as a substitute. You know what gave it away? What? It started barking. (laughs) The zoo in the People's Park of Liyue in the central province of Henan replaced exotic exhibits with common species, according to the state-run Beijing Youth Daily. It quoted a customer surnamed Lu, who wanted to show her son the different sounds animals make. But he pointed out that the animal in the cage labeled African lion was barking. The beast was, in fact... Uh, Tibetan Mastiff, a large Mastiff, and long-haired Nick. breed of dog. Tibetan Mastiff. Yeah. Mastiff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so exotic. <laughs> Bro, you gotta admit. Tibetan the Mastiff. <laughs> Uh, put the, the, the pepperoni and uh, my teeth. I put my teeth, bro. All right. The zoo is absolutely cheating us, the paper quoted, who was charged 15 yuan, which is 245 for the ticket, as saying they are trying to disguise the dogs as lions. Three other species housed incorrectly, including, uh, you know what, I'm not going to go there. Anyway. Are you lying to me? 
I'm not lying to you. This was real news, and it was hysterical, and I want a mustif. <laughs> Forgive me if I don't shake hands. Listen to the rats on the wiretap. Get killed in the back for a shoddy track. Listen, if you don't have a chance in the devil's plan, I don't have much power, but I know what ammunition I can make it rain with my left. Any given night, step up in the pain where it bled. Instead of a chain, it's a net. Wishing for your life. I'ma sing his praise to the death. Even if you taste me to death, I'ma bring the light. I don't need to change what he said. I just need to claim what he gave. Alrighty. Today we are talking about the second gospel in the New Testament. The shortest but most punchy. Do we have a punch sound bite? The shortest and yet punchy gospel in the New Testament. Nikki, do you want to start us out? Where are the All right. We're starting with the title of the book of Mark. The title of the book was given by a scribe sometimes before A.D. 125. Wow, in 6,000 years from now. <laughs> so funny, right? So funny. It wasn't even funny the first time. <laughs> this is the second episode in a row that he mentioned that joke, and nobody laughed the second time either. It was technically originally according to Mark. The title comes from the classically accepted author of the book, and that's what we hold to here on the show as well. We know of Mark's story from the book of Acts and throughout other books of the New Testament, which refer to him as John, whose surname was Mark. We see that in Acts 12, 12, 25, chapter 15, verse 37, and 39. He is also called John Mark. The writer of each of the Gospels is never explicitly named in any of them, but there is ample external confirmation that Mark was indeed the author of this Gospel. Some of the proof is that the early church fathers agreed unanimously that Mark was the author and that he got his information from Peter. And uh, not only that, but the earliest known extra-biblical affirmation of this comes from Papias. Papias. In 110 A.D. How many years is that from now? In 110 A.D.? That's like 100,000 years from now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He mentioned several details about Mark's authorship. And one, uh, some of the things that he said were, Mark was not an eyewitness follower of Jesus. He accompanied the Apostle Peter and heard his preaching. He wrote down everything that Peter remembered of Jesus' words and works, but not in chronological order. It doesn't even follow any kind of logical or artistic order either. It's pretty scattered in its composition. Also, he was Peter's interpreter. Although Papias used the word interpreter, in context he meant that Mark was the one who wrote Peter's sayings down. It was more like a scribe-like position. And another thing that he said was that his account is wholly reliable. Yeah, it is interesting that uh, you, you see that Mark is just kind of writing down what Peter remembers kind of sporadically. There's no real chronologic order to this. There's no there's no order really whatsoever. It's just kind of memories of Jesus from Peter. Um, I feel like that's something Jay Warner Wallace would say, like that's more evidence that it could be reliable because it's not this neatly packaged thing. That's so Jay Warns. So Jay Warns. Yeah, so these facts and this gospel's authorship was confirmed by many other historians 
and Church Fathers. Some of them are Justin Martyr, Arrhenius, Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, and Eusebius. Ah, oh, nope. man, I knew that's the one that was going to so get close. you. I knew it. How do I you were it? doing really good. You were yeah. doing really good. How do I say it? Eusebius. Eusebius. Eus- All right. You're Eusebius. All right. Well, I got close enough. You did, man. That was awesome. I got close enough. Eusebius. All right. Next, we move on to the date <laughs> of writing. The book doesn't explicitly tell us when it was written, like several of the other prophet books of the Old Testament do. There are a few things that can point us in the right direction, though. There was a lot of discourse around Jesus' prophecies regarding the temple's destruction, and the book never mentions the actual destruction of the temple, though, which was in AD 70. That means it was likely written before 70. Another point to make is that Clement of Alexandria and Origen state that Peter was involved in the writing of this book. He refined it and verified that everything in it was correct. That means it was written before 64 or 68 A.D., which is when Peter was martyred. Also, if you read through Paul's missionary trips that Mark was also a part of, it seems likely that Mark and Peter were in Rome together in the late 50s A.D., which is likely when they took the time to put together this gospel. Also, church tradition also state that this was a book written in Rome specifically for the Romans. How you doing? Otherwise known as the Italians. How you doing, hey? <laughs> you want to get some... Uh, some mutadel? Wait, what is that dog's name? Oh, Tibetan Mastiff. What did I say? Tibetan Mastiff. I said Mastiff. It's Mastiff. 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 There you yeah. Go. All right. Now let's get into the <laughs> purpose of the book, otherwise known as the porpoise of the book for you new listeners who don't understand why there's a dolphin noise. All right. So the purpose of Mark, whereas Matthew really tried to nail down that Jesus was Messiah and God, Mark really sets out to cover Jesus's personhood. So the purpose of this book, just like all the others, of course, is to tell the story of Jesus, which leads to salvation. But this book in particular points out to the relatable and human side of Jesus. It speaks in length about the suffering that he endured. Suffering was apparently a topic close to Peter's heart, as 1 Peter is filled with talks about suffering, as well as the gospel that he helped Mark put together. It could be because they were in Rome when writing this under Nero's rule. Nero was a brutal persecutor of Christians, and Peter may have wanted to empower his brothers and sisters by showing that Christ also suffered alongside of them. Yeah, Nero was crazy. He was. If you don't know about Nero, listen to the intro to New Testament episode where we don't really talk about him, but we do mention his name one time. Mm. All right, now it is time for the... Everybody's favorite part of the show. Everybody's favorite part of the show. Oh, you stink! I love (laughs) bread. Okay, the fun fact section. So, the first fun fact is that there is a ton of evidence that Mark wrote his gospel for the Romans. But the most interesting one is the writing style. He used a similar writing style to those that were writing action literature in ancient Roman times. 
he intentionally tried to grip the Roman people's attention by writing his book as if it were an ancient version of Die Hard. He constantly uses the word immediately to move on to the next event that took place. It's an action-packed book that immediately moves from one scene to the next. The second fun fact, Mark and Paul had personal issues. Did you guys know this? No. Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but he actually bailed on the journey halfway through. You can read about that in Acts 13. When Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to go on their second missionary journey, Barnabas suggested that they take Mark, to which Paul refused. And it was such a big deal that it led to Paul and Barnabas splitting and not traveling together all over Mark and his desertion. And you can read about that in Acts 15. They ended up reconciling down the road, though, because in Philemon 24, Paul lists Mark as a, quote, fellow worker. Later on in one of the last books of Paul's life, he tells Timothy to get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. So they clearly love each other once again. Look at you. And the third and final fun fact about Mark, Mark is the only book of the Bible that mentions a dude running away when Jesus was arrested and the dude was naked. Mm. Weird first Wednesday. Weird First Wednesday, new dude. Check it out on our website. Bibledingers.com. New dude. All right, let's get into the outline of the book. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sections of the book of Mark. The first section is the introduction, and that starts with just the title of the book, and then it goes into Jesus' preparation for the ministry, which starts out with the ministry of John the Baptist, and it tells us a little bit about John the Baptist, about he's a weird dude who eats locusts and weird he wears weird clothing. He lives in the woods. He lives in the woods. This is all stuff that reminds me of Mark, um, but this is what John the Baptist did. And then following that, we get the baptism of Jesus. And we get the famous scene that we spoke about in the last episode of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus and God saying, the God the Father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Following that, we get the temptation of Jesus and he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. And this is just a short two verses in chapter one, verses 12 and 13. And you'll notice that about the book of Mark, that these stories are significantly shorter than they are in Matthew and Luke because of the writing style that Mark employed that I talked about earlier. It's just punchy, quick, get to the point, action-packed. The second section of Mark is the servants' early Galilean ministry. And I said the servants, I'm talking about Jesus here uh, because Mark really has an emphasis on Jesus suffering, his humanhood, his servanthood. Um, And that's chapter one through chapter three. And it starts with the beginning of Jesus' ministry in chapter 1, where you get the basic message of Jesus, which is repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we see the first disciples of Jesus, who are the fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now, if this is starting to sound a little bit familiar, it's because these stories are the same as the stories in Matthew. Yep. Um, However... It's important to go through them anyway. Most important stories in the Bible, I would say. 
Can I say that? Yeah. Following that, we get early demonstrations of the servant's authority. So Matthew, he was the king. Mark, he's the servant. Jesus was teaching and healing in the Capernaum synagogue, and he casted out demons there and taught there. Following that, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, which is good for you, Peter. Uh, That's in the end of chapter one. Don't we all wish we had that? Oh, I would love for my mother-in-law to be healed. Following that, there is the healing of many Galileans at the end of chapter one, and he healed diseases and cast out demons. Then we get Jesus' first preaching tour of Galilee. He went on a big tour. He got on a jet like our friend, uh, what'd you say his name is? Jesse Duplantis. Jesse Duplantis. He got on a jet. He flew over to Galilee. He preached and he healed over there, and he cleansed a leprous Jew. He had... Never mind. Okay, then following that... Go on. No. Nah, I was going to make a joke about leopards, but it seemed inappropriate. <laughs> um, following that, we get Jesus' initial conflict with the religious leaders. And that is in chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 3. And it starts with a great story about the healing and forgiveness of a paralytic. And this is the story where the four friends bring their boy onto the roof. They cut a section of the roof out mm-hmm. and they uh, lower him down on a pulley system, I suppose. And he was laid in front of Jesus. Jesus told him, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. And the scribes flipped their crap because they were like, this is blasphemy. You cannot say that his sins are forgiven. But Jesus is like, yes, I can. Who has the power to forgive sins except God? Exactly. Mm. Then we get the call of Levi, as he is called in this book, and his feast, which is interesting fact. Go listen to Matthew. These are all so interconnected. It's so interesting. So it talks about the call of Levi and Levi's feast. And like we said in the last episode, Levi is Matthew's name before Jesus changed his name. And he threw a feast for Jesus in the book of Matthew. He just calls it a dinner. Following that, we get the religious leaders' questions about fasting, where they ask Jesus, why do John the Baptist's disciples fast, but not Jesus' disciples? And Jesus is basically like, my disciples don't need to fast because I'm right here with them. Mm -hmm. And fasting is about getting closer to God, seeking his will, so on and so forth. Longing for his return. Right. But Jesus is with the disciples, so what would be the purpose of fasting if he's God is right there. If you could just talk to him, yeah. And again, Jesus is revealing the true meaning of the law to the religious leaders. Exactly, exactly. It's not just about the act of fasting, it's about the heart behind the fasting. I gotta use that text on the the social media feed. Following that, we get the controversies about Sabbath observance. And this is where the Pharisees are busting his chops again mm. about the disciples working on the Sabbath. And Jesus brings it back to them and says, it's not about the actions, it's about the heart. And that is the first two sections of the book of Mark. Yeah, and we're moving into section three, the servant's later Galilean ministry. That begins in chapter three, verse seven, into chapter six, verse six. Uh, the broadening of Jesus' ministry starts to happen in chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Jesus' ministry to the multitudes is in verse 7 through 12 of chapter 3. He healed, uh, he healed a lot of people, and a lot of diseased people were crowding him simply just to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits even saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are 
the Son of God. I thought that was super deep. And as we know from Matthew, he he demanded, <laughs> he he ordered them not to make him known. Mm-hmm. Um, then as we move on to uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, we see Jesus' selection of the 12 disciples. Can you guys name them without looking? Yeah, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas, I think. Were you looking at the... No, you were looking no, at the no, that was a straight off of memory. Directly at his notes. Yeah. <laughs> his his eyes were directly on the computer screen. And then when I asked him, he, he looked at me and then was like, no, I wasn't looking at <laughs> Are um, you lying to me? Yeah, right. And then uh, from chapter 3, verse 20 into chapter 4, verse 34, we see the increasing rejection of Jesus in chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. We see apparent in the experience with the scribes. The scribes thought he was possessed. And I love Jesus' response. He asks, how can Satan cast out Satan? Like, duh. Like, how does that even make sense? Why would Satan even prevail if he was casting out himself? Yo, what are you talking about? What are you doing over here, Yo, what are you talking about? How are you bringing this to me right now? How are you doing? Anyway, uh, then we move on to Jesus' teaching in parables. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 34, we see a bunch of parables here. The parable of the sower, the parable of the seed growing, and the parable of the mustard seed. As we move forward in chapter 4, verses 35, and chapter 6, verse 6, we see Jesus' demonstration of power and the Nazarene's rejection. The demonstrations of Jesus' power happen in chapter 4, verse 35, into chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus calms a storm, and this is a well-known passage where he says, Peace be still, and Jesus heals a man with a demon, and this is the famous pig story. And Jesus also heals a woman that touched his robe. And he also healed Jairus' daughter, who everyone thought was dead. So these are all very well-known stories in the Gospels. Also, we see Jesus' rejection by the Nazarenes in chapter 6, in the very beginning of it, into verse 6. And this is where they ask him, how does this carpenter have so much wisdom? Isn't he from, you know, Mary and Joseph? Isn't mm-hmm. he from this person and that person? Isn't he just a carpenter? So they were questioning him and rejecting him. And we are into point four of this outline. And the fourth point is the servant's self-revelation to the disciples. That's chapter six into chapter eight, the mission of the twelve. The sending of the twelve happens in chapter six. Verse 6, at the end of verse 6, into verse 13. Jesus sends them out two by two, and he commands that they take nothing on their journey, no bread, no bag, nothing, just their sandals on their feet. And they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They casted out demons and anointed the sick. But then we see the failure of Antipas to understand Jesus' identity in chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. Basically, uh, Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist, who he beheaded. He thought that John the Baptist had rose from the dead. And obviously, that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just shows how important John the Baptist was, that he keeps coming up. And the point is that Jesus, that people thought it was John the Baptist, but Jesus is the fulfillment of all those prophecies that we know of. 
Um, then we see the return of the twelve in chapter 6, verse 30. They came back to Jesus and told him everything that they did. So all the healing and all that other stuff, all the casting out demons, they, they told him what, what they did. Then as we continue, we see the first cycle of self-revelation to the disciples in chapter 6 through 7, the feeding of the 5,000. Don't get it confused with the other feeding. We're going to talk about that. But this specific feeding is feeding of 5,000 in uh, chapter 6, verses 31 through 44. This is where they have five loaves and two fish, and they feed 5,000 people, and they have the leftovers of 12 baskets. You remember what they said, what the disciples said about the leftover loaves and the baskets? How did baskets? this happen? I love Ah, oh, come on. Yep. I don't know how to rebound from that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to so, take a second to recalibrate here. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move forward into Jesus walking on water and the return to Galilee in chapter 6. The disciples thought Jesus was a ghost. Like, dude, you just saw him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And you're going to doubt him as he's walking on water? Their hearts were hardened. And it completely blows my mind. After everything you saw Jesus do, you're going to be shocked at this experience here? Well, even Jesus, over and over again, he's like, you guys have such little faith. Yeah, and honestly, it just shows the stupidity of humanity. Boo! You stink! You know, we, we, we see it all the way back from the Old Testament. In the story mm-hmm. of, of the Ten Commandments being made, like you see a miracle happening up on top of that mountain. You see the amazing experience that God is putting you guys through. And then when you come down, what are they doing? Complain. They're worshiping false idols yeah. and they're complaining. So it just shows the nature of humanity all throughout the Bible. Anyway, we move on to... Uh, the controversy with the Pharisees and scribes over defilement. And this story we brought up early on, and in Matthew, this is where the disciples ate with unwashed hands and broke tradition, and the Pharisees didn't like it. Jesus corrects them and says, all food is clean, and that it's not what it's about. Like It's not about the food. It's, it's not, the food doesn't defile them, but it's what comes out of them that defiles them, and what, combat, what comes out of them is their sin. Our sin defiles us, and there's not a tradition that can fix that. Mm. Washing your hands, lighting candles, nothing can fix the defilement that sin causes. Mm. But Christ can. Anyway, baptism. Oh, hey. Just kidding. Yep. Anyway, Jesus' teaching about bread and the exorcism of the Phoenician girl happens in chapter 7. A woman whose little girl had unclean spirit heard of him and fell at his feet. And guess what? Jesus casted out that demon. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get that cord out of my face. Hit oh. that. Go ahead. Okay. Get that cord out of my face! Is it corn or cord? Corn. It's corn, yeah. Oh, I thought it was cord. Yeah. Cord makes more sense because there's like a cord. No, you if know. you watch the movie. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, I got to get there. I tried it three times. I didn't get through. But anyway, uh, we see continuous healing of a deaf man with a speech impediment. Jesus is just working miracles all throughout this book. But this is in chapter 7. Jesus took him aside privately. Away from the crowd, he put his fingers in the man's ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. You like wax on your finger? Ugh. <laughs> he looked to heaven and said, Ephatha. Right? Is that how you say that? <laughs> but Ephatha. 
<laughs> he says this word that means be opened. And guess what? The man was healed. No shock there. Then we see the preliminary confession of faith in chapter 7, verse 37. People were completely astonished and said he has done all things well. And he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. All right. The second cycle of self-revelation to the disciples happens in chapter 8. The feeding of the 4,000. This is uh, seven loaves of bread and, and a few fish. Jesus does it again. The return to Galilee happens in, in chapter 8, verse 10. After the feeding, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. And uh, then conflict with the Pharisees over signs. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to do signs, as we know in the book of Matthew. Jesus is teaching about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Herod. Jesus doesn't want them to eat the yeast of the Pharisees. And the apostles are worried about food. And he's like, didn't I not just feed the 5,000? Oh, yeah. This is a, this is actually a hilarious verse where um, Jesus is like, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples are like, we don't have any bread, though. What yeah. are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus, Jesus is like, like, you freaking idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not what he said. But yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's how he feels. Yeah. And then we see the healing of a blind man. I mean, Jesus is continuously healing. And then Peter's confession of faith in verses 27 through 30 in chapter 8. And Peter declares, just like we all should declare that Jesus is the Christ. Um, Then we move on to point five, the servant's journey to Jerusalem, chapters 8 through 10. The first passion predicted and its lessons, chapter 8. Verse 31 into chapter 9, verse 29, the first major prophecy of Jesus. And we don't have to read this because it's continuous prophecy that he's going to get crucified and that he's going to rise again in three days. But we do see requirements of discipleship, and that's that you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. And this was uh, directed towards the apostles in chapter 8, verse 34 through verse uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Then we see the transfiguration that we mentioned early on in the book of Matthew as well. Study that. Very interesting stuff. Then we see the coming of Elijah in chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Um, The apostles are asking questions and stuff. This is definitely worth looking at, um, but we don't have time to dive into this right now. Uh, Then we see the exorcism of an epileptic boy in chapter 9. Again, Jesus is just working his miracles. Working them. Working them. Working, boy. Then, the second passion prediction and its lesson. We don't have to tell you what he's predicting because we already know he's going to die and rise again. Then we see the pit bull. The the spitballs. Then we see the pitfalls of discipleship. They were arguing together about who is the greatest. Who do you think the greatest Bible dinger is? Um, Me. Me. The listener. Me. Oh, me. 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 And this was the lesson that they learned. The first will be last. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then there was also more lessons about uh, self-sacrifice. And he also teaches about marriage and teaches against divorce and stuff like that. And teaches of how, how our treasure should be stored in heaven. Yep. All that wonderful The things. one who wants to be greatest needs to be the servant of all. Mm. Exactly. And then we have the third passion prediction, and it's lesson Jesus knows was coming, and he continues to communicate it. And then we move on in chapter 10, verse 32 through 34, the third major prophecy of Jesus' passion. And then Jesus is teaching about serving in chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. In short, Jesus wanted the disciples to serve. 
and stop worrying about who is greater. Stop worrying about your reward and just simply serve. And then we see more healing from Jesus in chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. That's where he heals a blind man near Jericho. Jericho. Near Jericho, you say. I did say that. No, All right. Said, he said Jericho. <laughs> near Jericho. I said Jericho. Near Jericho. Okay. After that, we got the servant's ministry in Jerusalem. And that is in chapters 11 to 13. And that starts with Jesus' formal presentation to Israel. And that is the triumphal entry, as we all know. He told the disciples, hey, go get that donkey. And he rides in on said donkey. Following that, Jesus curses a fig tree in chapter 11, verses 12 through 26. And he curses the fig out of that tree. Okay. And then following that, we get Jesus' teaching in the temple. It starts with the controversy over Jesus' authority by scribes trying to trick him, like always, and then the Pharisees try to trick him, and this is where Jesus comes back with the greatest commandment to the scribes and Pharisees, and he says that you shall love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. Another cornerstone of the Christian faith. This is the greatest commandment for you to follow, to love God and to love others. And it's also a summation of the entire law. That's it. Um, So that is Jesus' pushback to the Pharisees, to the self-righteous, those who are counting on their works to get them into heaven. Following that, he condemns their hypocrisy in the end of chapter 12. He condemns the Sadducees for their self-righteousness And, you know, being a Sadducee really made Jesus sad, you see? (laughs) Following that, in chapter 13, we have Jesus' teaching on Mount Olivet. Uh, And they were up on the Mount of Olives looking down on the city, and he's preaching to a crowd. And this is where he warns them against deceptions. And this is similar to Matthew chapter 24 and 25, where Jesus is prophesying about the end of days. And he says that many will be led astray in those days. He gives us warnings about personal danger, that Christians will be persecuted in those days. But then he said, blessed are those who endure and proclaim the gospel in those days. Following that, there is the coming crisis that he prophesies about. And he says, basically, that the last days are going to be brutal. They are going to be difficult. But then following those difficult days, there is going to be the second coming of the Son of Man, and Jesus will return after all the craziness. And that is in the middle of chapter 13. Finally, we get the time of Jesus' return, which is... We don't know. No one knows the hour, not even the Son, says this portion of Scripture, which I believe we have a blog post about, right? About the Son not knowing the hour... Yeah, we have a weird verse Wednesday. I think we also have one about the fig tree, don't we? Yeah, I think I called it What the Fig. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, something to keep in mind with the weird verse Wednesdays, uh, we did have some guest writers. Yes. We've slowed down on that uh, series right now because we're just, uh, we're putting our effort towards other things. But we do have some very cool articles that I think are worth reading for sure. Yeah, for sure. 
And then there's the concluding exhortation uh, of the Olivet Discourse, which is stay awake and stay alert because the end of days is coming. Following that, we get the Servant's Passion Ministry in chapters 14 and 15. And it starts in chapter 14 with him anticipating his sufferings. And he suffers because of, one, his betrayal by Judas, who betrays him for some silver. And then he suffers because of his desertion by his crew, his inner core disciples, his 12, at the Last Supper, and then in in Gethsemane, where he was praying, they fell asleep, they didn't really care to stay up and pray with him, and then when he's arrested, they took off, and they were gone, man. As soon as the persecution came, those disciples were out of there, and one specifically was naked. Shout out to New Dude, Mm -hmm. go read it once again. This is only in the book of Mark. There was a naked disciple who ran away. Very interesting. And then we get the servant's endurance of the suffering in 14 and 15. It starts with the Jewish trial, which is where all the false witnesses came before Caiaphas. And this is also where Peter denies Jesus. It's outside of the Jewish trial, the essentially fake Jewish trial. Following that is his Roman trial, where he is before Pilate. And this is where the crowd picks Barabbas to be free instead of Jesus. And this is also where they put the crown of thorns on him and they whipped him. And then finally, uh, at the end of chapter 15, verses 21 through 47, we get Jesus' crucifixion, death, and burial. And I wanted to mention that getting to this part is always kind of sad, even if you know the story. And this is true for almost every book of the Bible that I read because... It's it's a it's a lot. It's a lot to read and so you get attached to the characters just like just almost like a regular book even but even more so since you know that this is real. You get attached to the characters as you're reading through Exodus for example, you get attached to Moses and then when he dies it's really sad. And then in uh first and second Samuel and Kings you get attached to David and then it's really sad when he dies. Mm-hmm. And then obviously uh, the foremost example of this is Jesus. When you're when you're reading through the Gospels and you're reading about his humility and his love for people and all the things that he did for people, and you're getting attached to Jesus, you love Jesus, and then here comes the crucifixion. And even though we're kind of looking back and we know, it's really hard to read about how he was spit on and mocked and whipped and just it was just so overly brutal how they treated Jesus. And it's just kind of sad to watch yeah. my savior, you know, my, the person who I love and base my life on be treated this way by, um, all those people who were there to witness the crucifixion. Mm. But this is where it happened. This is where my savior gave his life for me and for you. And, uh, he died. And then we get the separation, uh, between God and man that once was is now no longer. And the curtain in the temple was split in two, Mm -hmm. thus signifying this event and saying that Jesus bridged the gap between God and man. And he took away the sins of the world, including you and myself. So this is it, man. This is the crux, as we mentioned in Matthew. You know, I'm reading through Job right now. And at one point he says... I wish there was an intercessor for me to reach God. I wish there was someone who would bring my message, yeah. Yeah. bring my plea to God. Yeah. And I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, um, 
but that is a that is a huge difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and something that we sometimes take for granted. In the Old Testament, where you see in Psalms where David pleads with God, "Please don't take your spirit from me," because in those days they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them as we do now in this era of the world. Essentially, now that we accept Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. We are constantly in communion with God. Yeah. But in those days, it wasn't like that. Some people had communion with God. The high priests the leaders of the nation. Um, so, you know, it's something that we take for granted and something that shouldn't be. You know, you can speak with God right now, and you should. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, finally, the end of Mark and the supposed end of Mark. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Threw a wrench in your Uh-oh. plans. Jay Warner. Jay Warns. Okay, so chapter 16, we get the resurrection. And in verses 1 through 8, we have the announcement of Jesus' resurrection uh, to Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, who goes to the tomb where an angel was, and the angel told him that Jesus was no longer there. Now, you need to listen to our episode, our next episode coming out with Dr. Daniel B. Wallace, because we're going to be going over textual criticism, how we got our Bible, essentially, how we know that our Bible is accurate. Because following verses 1 through 8, we get verses 9 through 20, which is heavily debated. And if I'm being honest, I would say that I don't necessarily think that this is in the original text. It, it really depends on what you believe about how the Bible came into existence and what's more important, the date of the manuscripts that we have or the amount of manuscripts we have. So that's two things to keep in mind. Verses 9 through 20, they are not found in the earliest manuscripts that we have of Mark. They, they're they not there. But verses 9 through 20 are in the majority of the manuscripts that we have. So it really depends on what camp you're in. If you think it's more important that the very earliest copies of Mark do not have that section then you'll say that this probably is not part of the Bible. But if you're in the camp that says the majority of the scriptures have this in them, then you'll say this is part of the Bible. Exactly. But you can form your own opinion. We're going to be talking to Dr. Daniel Wallace, like I said, in the next episode. Um, and from there, you can you can form your own opinion. But yeah. let's say that these are part of the Bible. I'm just going to run through it real quick. We get the appearances and ascension of Jesus. Um and it starts with Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, and then it just says two disciples. It doesn't name the disciples. It says he appears to do two, two disciples. And then following that, we kind of get a version of the Great Commission, and then there's some kind of kind of weird stuff thrown in in the last verse mm-hmm. about how those who have accepted me will be able to drink poison and handle snakes and not be harmed. Mm-hmm. And... And that's it. That's that's the book of Mark. So yeah. it's kind of an obscure yeah. end if that part is in. But if it's not in the book of Mark, then it ends with Jesus not being in the tomb and that being announced to Mary Magdalene. Yeah. And and I have to say these variants come up a lot when you when you just uh, do a brief search on apologetics. And uh, if you're diving a little deeper into Christianity than the surface, these are the first things that you're going to interact with. And I just want to let you know it changes nothing. I yep. mean, I'm on the camp where I don't believe that these are supposed to be in there, but then someone will say, but I thought no word can be added, no, da, 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 da. Okay, we get that, but 
the essential doctrine is unchanged. Nothing has changed in Jesus' life, nothing has changed in his resurrection, and nothing essentially has changed. Yeah, and I also want to mention that, at least I don't want to speak for you guys, but at least for me, to me, the original the original document is what is er- spoken earliest? about. Yeah, well, no, I was going to say that I don't necessarily believe in the inerrancy of an English translation of the Bible. I believe in inerrancy of what the author wrote. Yes. Originally. And and our English translation is not the original inerrant word of God. It's a translation of the inerrant word of God. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, a hundred percent. And that's why it's so important and um to have a pastor or someone, even you if you're interested in doing this stuff, do word studies, do some Greek and Hebrew research, yeah. even some Aramaic. Uh, you can get uh, Bible programs. I mean, one of them is Lagos that we know of, that we have connections with. But there are other resources, and some of the resources are free online as well. But that's why it's so important to dig deeper, and that is why it takes a lifetime to study God's Word. You can read the same passage 98,000 times and learn 98,000 different things, and that's the beauty of God's Word. Yeah, I kind of have a, a different view of inerrancy. Um, I I've, haven't talked about this with anyone, but for me, inerrancy is not that every T is crossed and every I is dotted and every word is there, but the inerrancy of Scripture is more in the message that it teaches. Mm-hmm. That there's no and error to it. That that Jesus is Christ. That is the inerrant message. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that everything that follows that. That's yeah. valid as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, there's, there's many different because interpretations of that. There is no... That's not a bad one. Yeah, Le- there is no two languages that are parallel that if you go from Greek to English, it will never be 100%. Exact. That a comma is gonna, not going to be missing or yep. a word's not yeah, going to be that's, misspelled. That's like a misunderstanding of how yeah. exactly. translations work. Exactly. And a majority of variants that we have is exactly that. Misspellings, like punctuations mm-hmm. and uh, you know structuring of words and stuff like that. That's a majority of it. Uh, majority of the Bible is intact. I mean, this is a small portion of what we have, and it's like nothing. It's just a few verses. Uh, I guess some people will be upset that they can't drink poison, but uh, yeah, if you want to yeah. try it, I mean, I mean, I've done it a couple times and I wasn't harmed. So I, I do um, encourage you at home try it, <laughs> drink some poison, and then t- and then shoot us an email at bibledingers at gmail dot com and, <laughs> and let us know how it went. And let us know. No, we how don't about, need any lawsuits. How about you don't soon. do any of those things? <laughs> just read your word, pray. And don't drink poison, all right? That's it. That's the book of Mark, fellas. Um, so, yeah, if you enjoyed what you heard today, uh, we there's several ways to get in touch with us. One of the big ways that we would appreciate you supporting us is on Patreon. I've mentioned it before. We kind of pay for this and do this ministry out of our own pockets. And it would be a huge help if you would come alongside us and support us. We're really trying to grow. We're growing into the YouTube space right now. Um, we're growing into several spaces on social media and things like that. And we would love for you to come alongside our ministry and support us. On top of that, we have blog posts, we have videos, we have other podcasts, we have social media, and we have all kinds of calls to action that you can do, but you can find them in one central location on... I love <laughs> bread. 
<laughs> you make fun of me for not knowing the soundboard. Uh, first bro. of all, there's there's a glare on the tablet, right. so I know Let's it's in that it general Where area. can they find us? They can find it on BibleDingers.com. Yes, you can find us on BibleDingers.com. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can go on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and follow us at BibleDingers across the board. And while you're there... Just give me the likes, don't pass and Don't scroll. pass and scroll. Make sure you hit subscribe, hit like, hit follow, and most importantly, ding on. Yeah. Yeah. Bible My name is Andy. I'm from New York. I'm Italian. I got the sauce. I love yeah. my wife. Like a lot. I had some dad. I paid it. Look. Smart water on my rider, yeah, I got a heart.